News, politics, entertainment, and more. Welcome to the Informant. Independent talk, pursuing truth, informing everyone. Now, here is the Informant, Eric Thompson. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Eric Thompson, and this is The Informant. I'm here every day, well, Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time on the range to dig a little bit deeper into issues that you're interested in, maybe sports, politics, entertainment, and even some of those conspiracy stories that you hear talked about around the water cooler. So I do thank you for watching. If you're watching on Range of Broadcasting, um, please share your comments with other people on there. If you're on social media platforms, do the same thing and like the show, invite people, YouTube and all around. Or if you're listening on the podcast on Spreaker, thank you for listening. I'm a conservative independent. So what I try to do is to try to look at things from a objective point of view with little, with less subjective ideas, because that's where I think the political parties have gone wrong everything is subjective well i know that's true or i know it says that but i don't like it so i'm just simply going to ignore it i'm going to do differently and i and i it's as far as i can see it's the the left the democratic socialist party of america aka the former reagan democrats the former democratic party has has gone to the dark side as far as I'm concerned. Marxism never works. Socialism never works. I mean, think about it. We have Venezuela that has collapsed. It was the Sean Penn, Michael Moore, Danny Glover. It was the epitome of what America should be. The United States should become a democratic socialist state like Venezuela. The problem is when you have the government run everything and you tax the people that create incomes highly, they quit creating more as much income and then the state runs out of money. And then if the state runs like the oil industry and oil prices drop globally, there is no money to send people their little fluff money. There is no money to send their basic universal income checks and what you have now is a country in ruin. People have already eaten the zoo animals and they are looking to try to get to our country to take our resources now because that's what's been happening to the United States of America. The, our government hasn't been looking out for the citizens. It's been trying to figure out, well, we're, we're so nice. We're just going to continue to bring in more people even though most people coming in are becoming dependent on the state, now that's a line of demarcation. For people who believe in hard work and traditional values like I do, I'm a conservative independent, then I would say no. If you, if you, you can't come in our country if you're not workable, if you can't get a job, if you don't have any resources, we, we don't need you. So it is more of a what is good for the existing 
citizens of a country, not what's good for the people that want to come in and take away the resources from the people already in the country. Had a guy get mad at me once. He goes, well, you have life by lifeboat syndrome. I go, what's lifeboat syndrome? He goes, well, you're in the boat. You're in the United States. And you don't want anybody else to come in. Now, that's obviously obviously absurd. If we can get the most brilliant people who can come and contribute, cure cancer, and do other things like that, of course we want them. What we don't want is people coming across. We don't know who they are. They may be criminals. They may be bringing drugs. They may be coming in from China, Indonesia, and, and South America. And then they get in the country, they don't know the language, they don't want to simulate, they get on assistance and aid, and then they run up our national debt. Just to give you an idea, according to FAIR, $120 billion a year it costs us to support illegal aliens to live here. $120 billion. The big hoopla over the $25 billion wall is we can't afford it. But somehow we can afford $120 billion after they paid a little bit in taxes. Somehow that's okay. That's that subjectivism. That is when you bought into a worldview because of the universities and the school system, which has told you you're hateful if you don't allow anybody to come in the country that wants to. You're selfish. Matter of fact, if you're a man, you have toxic masculinity and you need to learn how to be nicer. And if you're a white person, you need to learn that you have privilege and you need to give up opportunities in order to pay reparations for minorities that feel like they are owed, even though the wrongs that were done, such as slavery, were decades and decades ago. I'm not here to enter, like to sugarcoat things, but I'm also here not to like make people angry because we'll cover that in a little bit subjective thought tends to make people very susceptible to anger and that's why social media and the other media outlets are using anger to drive traffic so they can sell ads and then they can make more money off of people's anger then they continue to run stories to keep those people angry maybe some new people to get angry in the end <laughs> Our country would be a disaster if we just continue this path. So I'm going to try to help us fight against that kind of insanity. So as we start the show today, the breaking news is that there's somebody else that is running for president. Now, I don't know if you've heard this or not. So before I go over the story with you, let me ask you a question. Who do you think would be the new person, someone who's just entering officially, to be the Democratic nominee for president. Who do you think it would be? Hmm. Give you a few more seconds, and then we're going to look it up. But this person's a he, and he announced it today. And, yes, it's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie, I'm 77, will be 78 or 79 if I become president, as announced through his email to his supporters and a video that he released that he is. Entering the 2020 presidential race, this is from NBC. The reason why? He wants to complete the revolution. When you hear revolution, do you think good thoughts or bad thoughts? Well, let's see what he means. The Vermont Senator, 77, enters a very different Democratic primary contest than the one he faced in 2016 against Hillary Rotten Clinton. 
Bernie Sanders is campaigning for president again, officially entering the crowded 2020 Democratic presidential field on Tuesday with the vow to finish what he started. Quote, together, you and I in our 2016 campaign began the political revolution. <laughs> now is the time to complete that revolution and implement the vision that we fought for, unquote. The 77-year-old independent senator from Vermont who started his political career as a godly gerennial candidate remains a pacesetter of progressive politics in America. And what is he? What is some of the things he wants? He wants uh, Medicare for all, trillions of dollars we don't have, $15 million minimum wage in Seattle, for example, when they did $15 an hour minimum wage, the average worker made $900 less per hour, and he wants free tuition for all. He said, quote, three years ago during our 2016 campaign, when we brought forth our progressive agenda, we were told our ideas were radical and extreme. Sanders said in his email, these policies and more are now supported by a majority of American citizens. So the question I have for you is, do you support $15 minimum wage when it's destroying economies like New York and Seattle so far? Do you support giving medical for everybody free when there's a certain percentage that use up most of the medical costs because they're unhealthy or just genetics? We don't have any money. Keep that in mind. We're $22 trillion in debt. We're running a trillion-dollar deficit again almost this year, and, we're, and uh, we have more and more people coming in that are becoming dependent on the state. And artificial intelligence, which we'll cover on uh, tomorrow's show, is a really big problem, but I don't know if you know much about it, but you will after tomorrow's show. And you think that we should have free college. Now, there's a lot of students going to college, getting grants. They come out. And there's no jobs in the field that they got their degree in. Why did they get a degree in a job in a field that there's no jobs in? Well, it's not their fault because we have to sugarcoat it. We have to hide everything from the snowflakes. Well, Johnny, it's not our fault that 14 years ago when you started your college um, aspirations, that advanced Russian basket weaving is was you know is no is not really a viable industry now that you're out. <laughs> it's like what? We, when I was growing up, we had trade schools. They would actually test you to see, okay, do you have an aptitude for college, doctor, lawyer, plumber, roofer, and they would give you recommendations. We can't do that anymore because we can't even uh, – there's some parents that won't even tell their children what gender they are because they want them to decide when they get old enough. So Bernie Sanders is in. He's going to push his socialism. Now, who, think about it. Who are the main – who are the leading candidates right now? Bernie Sanders, old white guy. Uh, Joe Biden, who's leading, an older white guy. Or maybe same age. Hillary Clinton and Pocahontas, older white women. Hmm. Well, Kamala Harris may be up and coming, they're saying. So let me ask you a question. Shouldn't we judge and shouldn't we elect the most qualified people to be the president of the United States? Or should we, should we say, okay, first on the checklist, check gender, check race, and lastly, are they qualified? Is that is that how is that how a country like ours should run? 
$3 trillion, $4 trillion budgets? Is that how, is that, is, is what do you think? I would, I think not. Okay. I say, I think not. I think the fact is, is that you must go with the most qualified person. And then you look at their history and then you vote. Now, this isn't too surprising because Janet Napanatala, who was the, I think, uh, Homeland Security or National Security, but when she was under Obama, her job out of the White House or out of the Capitol was to be the dean at UC Berkeley. And there was an article a couple of years ago where she actually put out, uh, teachers, you cannot, you cannot say that the most qualified person should get a job. So, hey, this is our station break. I want to welcome, uh, I want to thank you again for watching The Range. Independent talk. We got libertarians. We got all kinds of people covering different topics. So we do want to thank you for watching. If you want to get more information, you can always go to rangebroadcasting.com. Download our app from the Google Play Store and soon from the iTunes Store. And just share with other people that this is where you come can come to get good information on all kinds of topics here on the range. So thank you again for joining me. If you're just joining the show, my name is Eric Thompson, and I am the informant. Okay, so Bernie Sanders is in. Now, a little bit ago, I was talking about anger. Now, why, why would the media, why does the media keep running stories that maybe aren't, they know aren't true, or they regurgitate things to try to keep their base angry. And there's an article from dailywire.com you can look up on your own. But the reason why, according to the article, is that anger sells. If you just get people riled up, motivated, angry at a group, so like being angry at Antifa people or being angry at MAGA supporters, if you can get sides and get groupthink in place, groupthink is when the group leadership collectively has told the rest of the people in the group, this is how we're going to look at the Second Amendment. This is how we're going to look at uh, marriage. This is how we're going to look at Donald Trump. We can't allow ourselves to be pulled into constant anger. It's very simple. Take your anger and then re refocus it on voting, knowing, and educating people to vote also, and then make sure we have people in office who can do our will because it's we, the people, our representatives are supposed to give us representative government. But if we just stay angry and we're like, yeah, freaking idiots and you're a jerk and do a meme and a monkey this and that, in the end, you, now I'm a, I'm a conservative independent. Now let me ask you a question, like Republican. Are we winning? We, Republicans, are you winning or are you losing? Homosexual marriage, some people call it gay marriage. That When I was young, never in a million years, it's the law of the land. Just like people never thought abortion would be legal, law of the land. Now here we are with, well, you can have a different gender identity than your actual body, and then the laws should be written to punish people who don't go along with that, even though it's a mental disorder, gender dysphoria. Now we have... 
if a baby get, makes it out of the womb alive, like they tried to do in Virginia, then the doctor and mother can decide, well, the baby's out. We've cleaned him, cleaned him or her up. She's in a blanket. He's in a blanket. You want to keep him or kill him? What? <laughs> yeah, that's what hate and anger and narcissism and selfishness looks like. When the minority rules the majority, when normal, compassionate life skills gets overridden by narcissism, have a baby, the baby's coming out and the mom can say, kill it, kill it, simply because I don't want to pay for its food when it makes it out or whatever, no reasoning. We can't be angry people. We need to have live joyful. We're supposed to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So I would get off maybe some of the social media sites you're on. Head over to Spreely.com. That's a sister website of the range. Spreely, speakfreely.com. I have a site to magabook.com, or you can go over to, there's Gab and some other ones. But if you're, if, if you're going to different platforms to maintain a frustration or an anger or a side, may not be that healthy for you because if you're on Facebook or Twitter or these platforms, they're just taking that information. They sell it to advertisers. They get very wealthy and you really don't have any friends left in your or family members who would talk to you because you're angry. It's one thing to be right on principle when it comes to objective ideas. It's another thing just to be an angry person. So don't do it. <laughs> okay. All right. So why 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 are uh why is the left angry? You may ask yourself if you're talking to people. The left is angry because of the media because they've been they've got almost two and a half years now to get angry to maintain and to get more ammo on why they should they think they should hate President Trump. The newest thing is that the left has subjectively decided that in spite of numerical facts, in spite of rapes, murders, drugs, death, and everything, they've decided there is no emergency to be declared when hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed, raped, murdered, or died of drug overdose. So to them, that's not an emergency. President Trump and a lot of logical people, that's an emergency. Emergencies have been declared since 1974 for much, 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 much less important things like sanctions on Iran or North Korea. So because President Trump tried to go through the legislative process and said, look, we have an emergency on the border. We need a wall. And the left is like, no, we want open borders. We want to have everybody coming in, and somehow people are just going to get along. And the UN Charter, UN Charter 31 now, Agenda 30, is saying, yeah, open borders, no cultures, blend everything, and everybody will get along if we get rid of, you know, ideologies, national pride, religion, and then kumbaya. So they're angry right now at President Trump, and because they have subjectively said there's not an emergency, their rationalization, as they are one of uh, California is leading it, there are 16, 16 countries, I'm sorry, states, 16 states have 
as a story from Reuters, have d- decided now, yeah, uh, Calif- we're going to join you, California. So the 15 of us will join you. There's an article from Reuters, U.S. states sue Trump administration and shut down over border wall funds. The re- their justification is that they're going to lose some money if it gets reallocated, which is not true, but that's their point to a liberal judge up in Northern California, which President Trump knew they were going to do, arguing that there is no emergency. So President Trump is trying to do unconstitutionally supervent, go around the correct constitutional process of the legislative branch and then the executive branch signing it to work around. Now, you can say that if you reject the fact that there's people dying drugs and thinking that the border being open is hurting Americans. So that's the, that's their argument. Well, we cannot. President Trump is unconstitutional because there is no emergency. President Trump says it's constitutional, just like when George W. Bush, after 9-11, was able to redirect funds from the military to enhance American security ports and everything else using military money because we just got had a terror attack take place. So that was a national emergency. If you believe there's a national emergency with Americans dying and dying of drugs, gangs, and everything else, and sex trade, then you would say he can do this. The left says he can't do this because they don't want a wall anyway. So the article says that California is leading the charge and uh, says, uh, quote, today on President's Day, we take President Trump to court to block the misuse of presidential power. California Attorney General Xavier Becerra said in a statement, we're suing President Trump to stop him from unilaterally robbing taxpayers, (laughs) taxpayer funds lawfully set aside by Congress for the people of our states. For most of us, the office of the presidency is not a place for theater. The White House declined, but it's Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Nevada. Let's see. We got New Mexico, Oregon, Virginia, Michigan have joined. Not Massachusetts, but Maryland. So the states say Trump's order would cause them to lose millions of dollars in federal funding for National Guard units dealing with counter drug activities and redirection funds from authorized military construction projects that would damage their economies. Absurd. Huge, almost trillion dollar military budget. And they're saying that somehow if $5 billion gets redirected, that their their states are going to suffer. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and say that is absurd. What do you think? Do you think the president is trying to make up an emergency so he can get money that he didn't get from the Congress who does not see an emergency and because they don't want to play ball, he wants to take his ball and go home. Do you think that's happening? Or do you think there's actually, we need to put a stop to all the problems coming across the border and get to figure out who's here, who's not here, stop drugs and crime. Because the way this is probably going to work And President Trump said this when he did the press conference in the um, Rose Garden. He said this. Okay, uh, this is going to happen probably. I'm going to go in and sign the paperwork like all the other presidents have done before. 
Obama did uh, declarations of um, emergency declarations, Clinton, George W., all of them. And uh, President Trump's already done three when it deals with financial issues. He said, okay, I'm going to sign this, and then they're going to take it to a court in Northern California. That's what's happening. They're hoping a federal judge goes, wow, there's no emergency here. Separation of powers, and it's unconstitutional, blocked. So then the Department of Justice will appeal it up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Well, considering 90% of us are far-left wackos, we concur with the lower courts. Block. Hey, when we get back from the break, we're going to continue in this. Now, I'll, I'll kind of give you my opinion on what's going to happen here when it gets to the Supreme Courts, because I'm worried. So thank you again for joining me. My name is Eric Thompson. I am the informant here on the range. She said, Dad, there's a man in black tactical gear shooting up the Baptist church. Every one of those shots to me represented one of my neighbors, one of my friends. And I ran as fast as I could. Immediately, he came out of the church shooting at me. He hit the truck in front of me, hit the car behind me, hit the house behind me, and I hit him. He had an AR-15, but so did I. And it's not the gun, it's the heart. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. I'm, I'm not the bravest man in the world or anything, but I was here. I was here, and I could do something. And I had to do something. Hey, thank you for staying with me. All right, so let's let's continue on here. So if you're just joining, my name is Eric Thompson. This is The Informant. We're going over 
the angry people because of social media have really turned up a notch here because uh, they, the worldview that the group think on the left have, they, they bought into is that we need open borders. We, we, we really don't have a problem with people getting killed, drugs, and everything at the border. So they're, the uh, California and 15 other states have followed a lawsuit in Northern California as, as expected to try to make sure that President Trump is not able to use the funds from that's already been allocated for the military to finish building the wall. So the judge is going to get it. The Ninth Circuit's going to get it. And they're probably both going to uphold uh, that there's no emergency, which is in a subjective opinion. How do you say the executive branch, the president of the United States, who has a responsibility to protect the country, is wrong in looking at the data and saying there's an emergency, people are dying? But they will. <laughs> that, and that's why, that's why we have such turmoil. That's why people like me grew up in the Midwest. I just look at it saying, if one American gets killed because somebody came across the border, came across illegally, then we have a problem. It happens a lot. We have an emergency because people are dying all over the place and we got to put a stop to it. If a disease was to break out and people started dying, that would be an emergency, even if it was a handful. But tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people over the years that got murdered or dying of drug overdose or sex slavery or rape, not emergency. It's going to come down to that after all of this, even though it's constitutional, even though President Bush did it and Clinton did it and every Obama, the court's going to say no, no emergency. So the Trump can't use the money. Where does it go from there? The Supreme Court? Supreme Court, nine unelected attorneys normally that sit in robes and they get to decide how the rest of us live. The founders did not expect them to have the power they have, but as our country has splintered, now we, we're, people are using it as an extension of their political worldview. Why am I nervous about it? Because I just think logically it makes sense to secure our border, just like Hillary Clinton has a wall around her house. Obama has a wall around his house. Uh, Zuckerberg from Facebook has a six-foot brand-new wall around his property in Hawaii. White House has a gate around it. Most of us lock our doors and our cars and our homes. But... Judge Roberts, appointed by George W. Bush, is probably going to be the one we're all looking at again. Is that how this should work? 330 million people, one guy is going to decide, probably. I hope not. I hope the court's 7-2 to two or something, but not this stupid 5-4. to four. But I'm hoping they're like, you know what? Um, the executive branch has wide discretion, just like they did with the travel ban, quote unquote, from people coming in from certain nations. Hope they say wide, wide authority. So since people are dying and his, in his opinion, just like when he does, he can prevent immigration for a period of time. The executive, if he determines that, that the country's at risk and Americans are suffering, that he has the authority to do this. 
If he, if he rules that way, then the wall gets fully funded. If he rules the wrong way, then the executive branch will be permanently castrated. And it's just, it's that, it's that globalist progressive trying to tink away when we need to diminish the First Amendment, diminish the Second Amendment, exaggerate the 14th Amendment, use the 10th Amendment only when we're in office. And now it's like, well, the president is going to be a wee little person that can't even do his job to protect the country unless the House and the Senate are in agreement with him. So if we get invaded, like Pearl Harbor again, and this goes wrong, then it's going to be like, president won't be able to say, we're at war. Congress, you agree with me, right? So I'm going to put the, I'm going to get everybody heading home and then you agree with me. They'll be like, no, you can't do anything. You can't do anything until we agree with you. So you can't stop the people pouring across the border from Russia, shooting missiles in, unless we agree with you. How do you guys think it's going to go down? I'm hoping it's 5-4, the Supreme. Well, I'm hoping it's 7-2 to because I don't expect Ginsburg to ever do anything or Keegan. You know, that's anywhere anywhere close to constitutional. But I'm hoping that it's at seven to two or five to four, I don't care, saying the president can secure our border and stop these things from happening. Because this is a big story, it's gonna go on for months, the anger is gonna build and anger and anger, and you'll see Maxine Waters and all them having people march around march around the streets calling Trump uh, that he's uh, unconstitutional, that he's uh, over, you know, overreached, that he's going around the Congress, that he's uh, break, violating the separation of powers. But the anger will rise, so we just need to stay factual. Well, why wouldn't we want to stop people from coming in our country? Why, why do you lock your doors on your home? Why do you lock your car doors? It's not that complicated unless you're drinking the global Kool-Aid. I mean, I mean, look, at here are some more stories, okay? This is from uh, Breitbart. They were able to get into a detention center. What's happening in the detention centers is they are flooding the country. Tens of thousands of people are flooding the country, and if the cartel or the, the uh, smugglers can get a kid with them, then they put them in these uh, border facilities so Breitbart was able to get in and take photos. Overrun, just packed. And then what happens is they get released into our, con or into our country and we don't know who they are. Hmm, I wonder if that's organized. But the leaked photos show U.S. border facility overwhelmed <clears throat> by migrants. And that's not going to stop as long as we continue to release them. Let's see. Um, does this matter to you? Breitbart again. U.S. taxpayers fund border walls in Pakistan, Afghanistan, in the Middle East, but they don't want to fund a border wall on our southern border. It says American taxpayers are continuing to fund border security measures and in border walls, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Egypt, Lebanon, with President Trump signing a Department of Homeland Security bill. While the United States-Mexico border received only $1.3 for construction of a border wall 
at the overwhelmed southern border and soaring illegal immigration. Foreign countries are getting help from American taxpayers to secure their borders. The Republican-Democrat spending bill signed by Trump last week provides Pakistan. Listen to this. Pakistan is getting $15 million in U.S. taxpayers' money for a border security program as well as funding for cross-border stabilization between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Let's see. Uh, there's, the bill includes, let's see, expansion of catch and release, a potential doubling of annual low-skilled foreign workers, less detention space, amnesty pipeline for unaccompanied, un, unaccompanied children, chokeholds on immigration enforcement to border. Meanwhile, immigration... Uh, legal immigration to U.S. Mexican border has swelled in recent months. In, in uh, December 2018, the last months for legal boarding crossings, there were a total of 51,000 border crossings. Experts project there will be at least 606,000 crossings at our southern border this year. 606,000 people came across the border illegally. 606,000, some drugs, drug dealers, some coyotes, some MS-13 gang members, some from Afghanistan, some from Pakistan. Don't know who they are. Are they terrorists? And we don't have an emergency. Six, just try, try to get your head around that. 600,000 people in one year. And half of them will get released into our country. And we don't have an emergency. And it, it, just going through this makes me sick. I'm sorry. More H-1 visas probably just flood the country with people. Walls for Hillary and them. It's okay. Because she needs a wall. The Clintons need a wall. Let's see. Did you see their wall? Let's see. Um, the Clinton wall. There we go. This is from Daily Caller. Walls across America, the Clintons live behind a massive wall. Well, what do you think is going to happen? I'm hoping, I'm hoping. All right, let's go on to the, another story here. Did you guys hear about this? Of course we heard about it, Eric. Now, there's a guy, an actor, who's on a show. And, uh, well, it looks like he may have been, was on a show. He was on a show called Empire, and a guy named Jesse Smollett, who is a homosexual black American, and he reported to the police that he was in Chicago. It was like 20 or 30 degrees below zero, and two guys wearing MAGA hats showed up, and they called him homosexual names, racist names, and that uh, they then threw bleach, on, threw bleach on him and put a rope around his neck. The problem is the brothers say that actually this guy paid them because he knew them because they're from the show and that they uh, don't, they want to kind of come clean because they don't want to get in trouble over this because they were just doing what they were asked to do. 
So he went ahead and paid them to fake getting attacked because of his sexual orientation, quote unquote, and because of his race. Well, the empire stood by him at first, but now it looks like, according to some articles, that they're kind of saying, you know, we're um, we're going to kind of like cut you out of the scenes that you're already in. We're going to phase you out. Because it's right here. Here's an article from page six. Jesse Smollett's empire scenes cut after attack controversy. Not working out too good, is it? Now, the media, when this first came out, the media was like, oh, man, can you believe it? This is a modern-day lynching, okay? This this needs to be dealt with. And matter of fact, uh, President Trump should come out and should do a speech on this. So here's the article from page six. Jesse Smollett's empire scenes cut after attack controversy. It says here that uh, scenes featuring Jesse Smollett on the TV, hit TV show Empire have been dr drastically cut amid the whirlwind of controversy surrounding his alleged hate attack, according to reports. The actor who plays the gay singer-songwriter Jamal Lyon on the show was supposed to have nine scenes and a big musical performance on the second-to-last episode, but five scenes in the musical number have been axed. And why is that? Because the police... The police are no longer, they're no longer uh, considering it like a hate speech or a hate crime. Oh, there's so many articles here on the wall. What do you think should happen to this actor? Okay, because remember, he he's successful, hit show. Gets two guys from the show. He thinks one may be a work like a body, like a fitness trainer, and the other guy is a friend of some nature. And he, they're both from Nigeria or some African nation. And they, uh, it says they gave him like thirty five hundred bucks. And and what they did is they got some rope, some bleach, and then supposedly, and then he was going to have them on a camera. The problem is that the camera that was supposed to film this event was turned the wrong way. So these guys he paid that he knows, they go out there at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's supposedly walking home from Subway, whatever. And then on this video that we don't see because the camera was wrong, these two paid guys supposedly beat him up, throw bleach on his face, call him names, and put a rope around his neck and run off. The problem is he didn't know it wasn't filmed. He didn't know that the camera wasn't facing the right way so they did all of this acting for nothing so the police now want to question him because he's he's up to he can get up to three years for filing a false police report because he's trying to ignite more of that hate that we spoke about earlier he wanted the group he wanted the the this group to hate the trump people so he wanted to say, look it, I'm just walking down the street and two people identified me as a black actor and they went after me because they mysteriously had bleach and a rope and they beat me up and they scared me to death. Help me, help me, help me. 
Well, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, running, both running for president, and all of them came out. Oh, this is a this is a modern day lynching. Something has to get done. Reverend Al Sharpton said President Trump needs to come out and do a national speech on stopping hate. But in the end, it was all a lie. It's even worse than a lie. It's a orchestrated, intentional attempt to make people angry and violent for political purposes. But the media is trying to hush it down and minimize it because it happens to be the Democratic Socialist Party of America. What do you think should happen? I, I, what I think is going to happen is nothing to the guy. He may get probation. Well, I grew up in a tough neighborhood, and I was just kind of uh, not thinking clearly and tired, and my show was maybe going to cut me, and I was blaming it. And so I'm sorry, but I'm, you know, I won't do it again. Well, I think he needs to go to jail so people can see what happens when you lie. When you lie, you need to face the consequences. I don't think it's going to happen. What do you? So do you want to finish the show here? I didn't cover this earlier, but I want to make sure that you see it. This um, was Stephen Miller. And um, he's one of President Trump's advisors. And this is him. It's an interview with Chris Wallace on the justification for the de the uh, emergency declaration. So I'm going to have you watch this, and then we'll it'll end right before the show's over. But uh, I think you'll get a better idea on where the White House is coming from. I've already told you where the left is coming from in the 16 states that are trying to say this is not an emergency. But I think it's going to really help to clarify some things. So... Let me pull this up here, and I'll be back when it's over. Actually, we're gonna do they, they loaded a stinking commercial. So in ten seconds, we're gonna go ahead and watch that. So let me get it pulled up here for you. Okay, that should be ending, and there we go. So let's go here, Chris Wallace, Showtime. Be right back. The advisor is Stephen Miller. Stephen, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. Great to be here. Thank you. I want to start with something that President Trump said Friday when he was declaring a national emergency. Here he is. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. I didn't need to do this. How does that justify a national emergency? Well, as you know, Chris, we already have 4,000 troops on the border in light of the national emergency, a decision that was made almost a year ago, as we've seen an increasing number of people crossing the border, as well as increasing violence in Mexico. What the president was saying is, is that like past presidents, he could choose to ignore this crisis, choose to ignore this emergency, as others have, but that's not what he's going to do. The president talks about an invasion, used that word multiple times on Friday, an invasion on the southern border. But let's look at the facts. I want to put them up on the screen. 1.6 million people were stopped crossing the border illegally back in 2000. Less than a quarter that many were caught last year. The government's own numbers show, for all the presidents talk about drugs streaming over the border, 80 to 90 percent of the... Ridiculous. What about the 20 percent coming across? is seen ports of entry, not along unfenced areas. And in 2017, twice as many of the new people in the country illegally 
were from visa overstays as were from crossing the border. Again, where's the emergency, the national emergency to build a wall? There's a lot of data you just presented there, so I'd like to go through it each one piece at a time if I could. So let's start with your point about the border crossings in the year 2000. Well, as you know, when George Bush came into office, illegal immigration total doubled from 6 million to 12 million by the time he left office. That represented an astonishing betrayal of the American people. And I'm not going to sit here today and tell you that George Bush defended this country on the southern border because he did not. One of the biggest changes that's happened since then and now is the mass release of illegal aliens due to a patchwork of court rulings and loopholes in our federal laws and changing tactics from smugglers and transnational organizations. I, I, I want to go into, into all of this, but I mean, let's just right, focus on that one issue. Right. Four times as many people were coming across right, the border in 2000 as now. Back then, so why is that a national Back then, 95% could be turned around in a matter of days. As a result of loopholes, activist judicial rulings, and increasing sophistication from cartels, the reality is is that more than half of people crossing the border are what we call non-impactable. They can't be turned around. And so what you see is sophisticated operations and smugglers will actually push out migrants and children and family units to divert border agents, and then because there's not secured areas with the wall, they'll then cross after the border agents have been diverted to those areas. But at a fundamental level, we could go down to the details, and, and you know, Chris, I could go down to the details as much as you want to. But the bottom line is this. Please don't. <laughs> but, the, but the bottom line is this. You cannot conceive of a nation without a strong, secure border. It is fundamental and essential to the idea of sovereignty and national survival to have control over who enters and doesn't enter the country. And we can get into the statistics. You want to talk about drugs? There's been a huge increase in drug deaths since George W. Bush and Barack Obama were in I, office. I understand that, but 80 to 90 percent of those drugs right, that are being like, seized don't come across an unfenced area as they come from right. ports of entry. Those are your own Customs and Border Patrol numbers. Which is the reason why we also ask for additional resources at the ports of entry. But Chris, what you got? But Chris, the problem with the statement that you're apprehending 80 or 90 percent of drugs at ports of entry is that's like saying you apprehend most contraband at TSA checkpoints at airports. You apprehend the contraband there because that's where you have the people, that's where you have the screeners. I assure you, if we had people of that same density and screeners of that same density across every single inch and mile of the southern border, you'd have more drugs interdicted in those areas. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't catch what you don't catch. But as a matter of national security, you cannot have uncontrolled, unsecured areas of the border where people can pour in undetected. Okay. And I would, uh, one more point. I guarantee you this. If Donald Trump had said he's invoking the National Emergency Military Construction Authority to build a security perimeter in Iraq or Afghanistan or around a military installation in Syria, there would not have been one word of objection from Congress. This is defending our own country. I question whether, in fact, that's the case. But in any case, let's talk about the constitutional aspects of this, because I've talked to you over the years. I know that you are a constitutional conservative, and you believe the Constitution should be interpreted as written, correct? Yes. Okay. Here's Article 1, Section 9, Clause 7 of the Constitution as written. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Isn't what President Trump wants to do a clear violation of what the founders, of what James Madison talked about as giving Congress the power of the purse? No, because Congress in 1976 passed the National Emergencies Act and gave the president the authority as a result of that 
to invoke a national emergency in many different circumstances, but among them for the use of military construction funds. And that was the point I was making earlier, is that if the president were to say we're going to use military construction funds to, say, increase the perimeter around a base in Bagram, around a base in Syria, nobody would even say anything about it. But, but, let, 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 we have 4,000 troops on the border right now, and as a result of that mission, they need to secure those areas where they're patrolling. But let's talk about national emergencies. National emergencies have been declared 59 times right. since... 1976 when the law was passed, the National Emergencies Act. Can you point to a single instance, even one, where the president asked Congress for money, Congress refused to give him that money, and the president then invoked national emergency powers to get the money? Well, first of all, can you find out one case? Think what you're missing, Chris, is that the national emergencies don't all have the same authorities and the same justification. I understand that, but there have been 59. This, this, Can you find one case like this that? This authority specifically refers to the use of military construction funds. Other emergencies, for example, were declared well, wait, wait, to be... Wait, wait. I mean, if you want to talk about military constructions, do you know how many times military construction has been invoked as a national emergency? That one was in... Twice. Right. Twice. Once by George H.W. Bush during the middle of the Gulf War, and the second time by George W. Bush right after 9-11. This name, is hardly comparable to either name, of those. Can you name one foreign threat in the world today, outside this country's borders, that currently kills more Americans than the threats crossing our southern border? You know, the, the, the joy of this is I get to ask you questions. You the don't answer get to ask no, The answer is no. But you the, can't, then, then answer can't. my question. Can you name one case where a president has asked Congress for money, Congress has refused, and the president has then invoked national powers to get the money anyway? Well, this current situation... Just yes or no, sir. The current situation pertains specifically to the military construction authority. I'm just asking. Has I there think been a single the, case where question, Congress asked for money for military construction, Congress said no, and he this, then... The meaning of the statute, Chris, is clear on its own terms. If you don't like the statute, or members of Congress don't like the statute... Would you agree the answer is no? There hasn't been a single case a like this. Ago. But the premise of your question is also false because Congress has appropriated money for construction of border barriers consistently. This is part of a national security mission. But it has mission. never done this under a national emergency where Con President... We've declared, but we've declared national emergency to promote democracy in Belarus, to promote democracy in Zimbabwe. But it didn't involve to, taking to, to money the, that Congress refused to appropriate. They didn't refuse to appropriate it. They passed a law specifically saying the president could have this authority. It's in the plain statute. That's a decision that Congress made. And if people don't like that, they can address it. But to my, to my point that I made, this would not be even an issue if the president was invoking that statute to support some foreign adventure overseas. You and I both know that presidents for years have engaged in one military adventure after another, not to mention the fact that we do operations to destroy drug fields in foreign lands in Afghanistan or in Colombia, and we can't even deal with the criminal cartels operating on our border. Okay. These, let's, let's these talk criminal about organizations the, I want to move, are I'm, destabilizing the Western Hemisphere. I want to move policy respectfully issue. let's talk about the logistics here if the president gets access to the entire eight billion dollars he's seeking how many miles of barrier will he be able to build and how quickly well if you look at the authorities we have both in terms of drug corridor funds in terms of national emergency funds in terms of treasury funds as well as appropriated funds and other reprogramming authorities that may exist in combination with the existing I'm outlays a question you're looking at hundreds of miles collectively and how soon well, you're going to see probably a couple hundred miles in time, um, to, I would say, by the end of the next appropriation cycle. 
all together in terms of what we already have underway, what's underway right now, and then what we're going to complete. So by the end of this year, by the end of, hundreds you know, of miles. Next fiscal year, one more after this. Okay, so by September of 2020, right, right in the middle of the presidential campaign. My point is that if you look at what we've already outlaid, we have 120 odd miles that are already under construction or already obligated, plus the additional funds we have and that we're going to outlay, you're going to look at a few hundred miles. Okay. Final question. If both the House and the Senate approve a resolution of disapproval, which they're allowed to, is specifically called for in the National Emergencies Act, and if they pass it in the Senate, it would be with bipartisan support because there's Republican control. If they pass a resolution of disapproval, will the president veto that, which would be the first veto of his presidency? Well, obviously, the president is going to protect his national emergency declaration, Chris. And I know that we're out of time, but I again want to make this point. There's no threat. So yes, he will veto? There, he's going to protect his national emergency declaration guaranteed. But there, the fact that they're even talking about a resolution of disapproval shows you this is a statutory issue and a statutory delegation that Congress made. But again, I want to make this point. This is a deep intellectual problem that is plaguing this city, which is that we've had thousands of Americans die year after year after year because of threats crossing our southern border. We have families and communities that are left unprotected and undefended. We have international narco-terrorist organizations. This is a threat in our country, not overseas, not in Belarus, not in Zimbabwe, not in Afghanistan or Syria or Iraq, but right here. And if the president can't defend this country, then he cannot fulfill his constitutional oath of office. Stephen? Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. It's always good and always challenging to talk to you. Thanks. All right. Well, so, <laughs> okay. did you guys get all that? I, I know. I know. That's a lot of stuff. So, hey, to finish up the show here, here, here is where I'm coming from on that. The ultimate destination. Oh, you know what? I didn't turn this little silly thing off here. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here is how we're going to finish up the show. What Stephen Miller was trying to say in is what I've been saying the whole time is that we have thousands and tens of thousands of people that are negatively affected because of what's coming across the border. 600,000 people are going to come, come across the border that they know of at least 600,000 people coming across. We don't know who they are. We're catching some of them. Then we're releasing half of them. In the end, the left doesn't want to agree Chris Wallace does not want to agree just because it's on Fox doesn't mean he's conservative. They don't want to agree that there's an emer that it's an emergency that people are dying because of what's coming across the border. But there's nowhere to go if they disagree with that. If they disagree that people dying, getting sh cut up into pieces, sold into sex trades, whatever dying of, of 150 people a day dying because heroin came across the border. Then no, it's not 90% of it's coming through ports of entry because why would you go through a port of entry if you're a drug cartel when you've got 800 miles of open terrain with nothing in the way? Here we sit. We have an emergency or people don't want to acknowledge it. So when nothing's getting done and it's going to end up in the Supreme Court where one justice will probably be able to decide going forward for our country, for our, our country's posterity, what's going to happen from decades and generations to come? Will the president be able to uphold his oath and defend the Constitution, of the United States of America, or will Congress basically dictate everything and if they're inept snowflakes then the border is going to be open and let the hell
commence. So I do want to thank you for watching. Hopefully you've uh, got some good information from this. Bernie's running, um, is running. Gillette is uh, uh, the, the Empire guy. Should be going to jail, but I doubt he will. And Empire strikes back as they're cutting his shows out because he's a liar. And the wall is going to probably end up, or the, the emergency money for the wall is going to end up with one Supreme Court justice deciding it all. So, hey, I do want to thank you guys for watching. Um, make sure that you guys stay for the next broadcast, and I will see you guys soon. Take care of yourselves, and let's get this rolling. We were flying over the U.S.-Mexico border, and the Mexican cartels had sent coyotes miles into the United States. They set up an observation post to avoid law enforcement and to direct the smuggling of drugs and people. The border was wide open, and with the terrain, Helicopters were the only way we could catch them. But for every group we catch, there's countless groups we don't catch. They won't stop. We need more resources. We need the wall. One victory for truth can change everything. The anger and hatred that arose from the pro-abortion left was rooted in more than just whether Kavanaugh was qualified for the court or not. Hysteria, insults, and meltdowns inflamed passions to try to derail his nomination. They believe they're losing their so-called right to abortion, their human rights. They're full of anxiety and fear, and stuck in that same fear in others. But how do we pro-lifers see it all? Do we see this as a monumental moment too? One crucial Supreme Court win, and the path to success is clear. The way we think, act, and react, the way we live, it matters more than ever. Our opportunity is here, and we must not fail. The lives of countless unborn children and their mothers are at stake. We are living in a time when the courts can once again uphold life-saving laws. We are called to keep fighting for justice for the most vulnerable among us. We are called to stand with lawmakers who protect the right to life. We are called to live in harmony with one another. We are called to stand with women and children in need. We are called to rejoice in our victories, but never to rest until all life is protected in this country. We have won this opportunity. We have this moment. We are ready to triumph over fear, to seize this day, to choose life. What makes America's military the most fearsome force on earth isn't just the weapons, equipment, or technology. It's the flag beneath which we serve. From the shores of Tripoli and Normandy to the jungles of Vietnam and the streets of Baghdad and Kandahar, America's armed forces fight with courage, selflessness, and noble purpose unmatched and undefeated. We've always known that behind our line stands every hope for human freedom on this earth. So let me say this to all who serve or who have served. If you want to continue your fight to keep freedom alive, there's a nearly six million member force that would be truly proud to add your name to our ranks. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. I call him my miracle baby. 
He almost didn't make it into this world. I can remember so many times when I almost lost him. It was so hard. Well, he's all grown up now, and I still worry about his health. You know, with all our family's been through, we have to be tough. Timmy, I'm trying to tell our story here. Sorry about that, Mom. <laughs> you still worry about me, Mom? Well, yeah. You're not nearly as tough as I am.